welcome once again another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar doing a movie event review pod today, July 3rd, or the 17th anniversary of the Powerpuff Girls movie debuting <laughs> in theater. Uh, we're doing Spider-Man Far From Home. That's the movie event pod that you are getting from us today. I am your co-host, Mike One. This is co-host also Mike. Also Mike here. We definitely are not ready for our new movie event format. No. We have been working on it, but we're going to go with the old standby. Really love the way the Annabelle Comes Home yeah. pod went, and uh, we thought we did a nice... We had fun conversation with that. That would figure with our luck that we just back into a format that we actually <laughs> like, despite spending so much time trying to figure out if it ain't to broke. go with. <laughs> no, but we, we got some fun things in store for movie events and for movie reviews going forward. We have been innovating our you know movie review format in general mm-hmm. with the Pixar uh, series, with the Tarantino stuff anyway, so we're going to at least make additions to this. But today, we got the old standbys, and it's a good thing too, because we got a lot to talk about with this movie. A lot of speculation for future MCU movies that we'll do at the very end. But first things first, let's uh, let's tell you what you need to know. Yeah, so this is a movie event review pod. Like Mike said, same format as usual. What that format is, we're going to have a non-spoiler section, a spoiler warning, and then the spoiler section is going to be the second half of all these pods. So if you've not seen Spider-Man Far From Home yet, don't worry, you're in the right place. The first half of all of these movie event pods are going to be non-spoilers. We're talking about the cast and crew, the production values, the box office, all that fun stuff, uh, the performances. We'll review those a little bit. And then we have our spoiler warning, so you will not have anything spoiled in the first half of this episode if you've not seen Far From Home, and the second half will be all about spoilers. We'll talk about the twists and turns, everything we liked, didn't like about the plot, all our highs and lows, all that fun stuff where waits for you after the spoiler warning, which is at the midway point. But to start off the non-spoiler section, Mike's going to run down the cast and crew. So the writers and director of Spider-Man Homecoming were brought back for this film, something the MCU had done previously with the Captain Americas, with the last two Avengers movies. You have Marcus, McFeely, Russo brothers being brought back for them. Now you have uh, John Watts, the director of Homecoming, and screenwriters Chris McKenna and Eric Summers getting their second opportunity to work with Spidey. Much of the cast also comes back uh, from that first movie, Tom Holland. He returns as Spider-Man. We still get a hot Aunt May with Marissa Tomei. <laughs> we get Zendaya back as MJ. And I just realized this. Zendaya is one of the few people on the planet, one of the few stars, mm-hmm. who has the balls to just go with one name. Yeah. There's only a few. There's Cher, Madonna, Rihanna, Adele, Drake, Enya, Nene. You know, there's only a few megastars. There's a couple names on that list that are a little <laughs> out of place, but yeah, I get what you're saying. It's rare, though. It's very, very rare, and uh, just, you know, props to her yeah. for, for, for living up. To the one-name hype. I co-sign. I, I agree. I, she's badass enough to pull it off. Uh, we are not. We have three names in our podcast <laughs> title. <laughs> and only two people. Yeah. We, we more than cover ourselves. Anyway, the classmates return with Peter. Again, Zendaya is MJ. Jacob Batalon is the guy in the chair. Ned. Tony Revolori is Flash Thompson, who should be a superhero. He's not yet. And Gory Rice from The Nice Guys is Betty. Martin Starr from uh, Freaks and Geeks returns as their funny teacher mm-hmm. slash worst chaperone ever. Uh, Him and J.B. Smoove should never be in charge of children. Mr. Harrington. Yeah. Luckily, Happy Hogan is back as a much better chaperone in this case. Yes. But he's also kind of uh, preoccupied with his affair uh, you know, with a, with a certain somebody. John Favreau takes a break 
from the Lion King to do this somehow. I don't know how. Because Played a big he, role in this movie, absolutely, too. Absolutely, and he was in mid-production, I'm mm-hmm. guessing. But we get a ton of new characters, too. We had Samuel Jackson in a Spider-Man movie playing Nick Fury with his right-hand Kobe Smulders as Agent Maria Hill. We get J.B. Smooth. He joins our ensemble of phenomenal stage names here uh, as another <laughs> teacher slash terrible and funny chaperone in Mr. Bell. Awful. Then of Just course, the worst. Yeah, then, of course, we get Jake Gyllenhaal, immaculately bearded as Quentin Beck slash Mysterio. I don't know how any man, woman, or being on this earth can't fall victim to when those baby blue eyes are batting in their face. Everyone that interviews that man must just turn into a pile of mush after seeing his face. He is gorgeous. He's a handsome man. So, (laughs) younger Warren Beatty... 50s Warren Beatty. I'm into him. You're into Jake Gyllenhaal now. Spectrum of of male romance here. Man crushes. Mike, you got the specs. Spider-Man: Far From Home. Mike told you the important stuff. Directed by John Watts. Written uh, by Steve Ditko and Stan Lee. They also get the other writing credits on this, as they get the based on the Marvel comic book by credits. But it is Chris McKenna and Eric Summers who are both back from the first Spider-Man MCU movie to do this one as well. This film opened June 26, 2019, in Hollywood. Went wide in the U.S. today when we're recording this on July 2nd. You'll be listening to this probably on the 3rd, hopefully on the 3rd, maybe the 4th. Has a 129-minute runtime and a PG-13 rating. Obviously, it's a Marvel Studios property, and while Amy Pascal and Kevin Feige are the listed producers, it's Sony Pictures releasing who gets the distribution rights, as lest we all forget, that clock is ticking down until the Spidey film rights revert back to Sony in full. That is something I'm a, I would have been worried about before Spider-Verse. Now I'm agree. I'm not worried anymore. I feel like this is a tandem idea that they're working towards. Yeah, and and Mark, they should team up again and c- continue to share the property because they're they're both doing a, a great job. Yeah, but why share money when you can have the money? You understand? Oh, the money. <laughs> Can we, uh, can we have some of the money? Yeah, we'd like a little bit. If you didn't listen to the box office update on this week's MMO Weekly, then you didn't hear the records this film already broke internationally, so go do that. But otherwise, there's a listed $160 million production budget for this movie, which is actually $15 million less than the budget Homecoming was given. I found that interesting. Oh, cool. Uh, before the first preview showing was even opened last night at midnight, stateside anyway, this movie already had $111 million grossed due to its having opened last week in certain overseas markets. China. China did well. It did do very well there. Deadline has the projections for this film from various sources. Sony, in light of the horrible condition of sequelitis the movie industry is suffering from in 2019, conservatively projects this movie to open at around $125 million for its six-day rollout. Again, coming covering the July 4th holiday, July 4th weekend. But the article goes on to make the case that anywhere from a $140 million to a $180 million opening could be possible, even if not likely. So, if you split the baby and project not 125 but not quite 140 not quite 180 we'll call it a 140 opening that would make far from home the mcu's 10th best film opening ever stateside better than its predecessor of homecoming's opening however it would still only register as the second highest opening of a spider-man film ever as sadly somehow wrongly <laughs> sam raimi's spider-man 3 and its 151.1 million dollar opening would still reign as spidey king Oh, what a disappointment that movie was for me. All right, plot premise, Mike reads, Following the events of Avengers Endgame, Spider-Man must step up to take on new threats in a world that has changed forever. Vague. Forever, huh? (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, okay. All right, I'll buy into that. That's... 
more of a spoiler than I think it leads on, or that maybe even that it means to be, if you consider some post shenanigans that yeah, happen. Yeah, I guess if you like to read into stuff, you yeah. can find a spoiler in there somewhere. <laughs> me, I'm just all, that that's vague to me. Yeah. I'm, let me take my expectations first, because Mike, I'm in the movie theaters this morning, mm-hmm. 9.30. Yeah, you were there early. And I forgot what movie I was seeing. Like, the trailers are playing, and I legitimately... For like hot ten minutes, I'm like, here I am in the movies again. Wait, what the hell am I seeing again? <laughs> like, like once the movie started, like I was like, wait, what is this? Well, and then I was so relieved. I was so happy. I'm like, oh, it's the MCU. It's a Spider-Man movie. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say it's probably better that you were like eased into a Spider-Man movie and not what movie am I seeing? Oh my God, it's Midsummer. <laughs> I gonna see that tonight i'm gonna see that tonight and i i almost had like a pa- i didn't want to mention it i had like a panic attack Ooh, i'm not ready right but thank the gods i was in spider-man and i was in the uh the dolby uh, is that a man eating song? an eyeball <laughs> yeah the freaking pixies song right. comes through my head jesus christ i was totally afraid but what what was it like for you what were your expectations very high, like extremely high. I, I did the mistake of reading the, the the critical scores of the sites prior to going to see it. So I did not. Eight point one IMDb. I saw ninety two percent certified fresh Rotten Tomato score on one hundred and seventy. I think when I last looked, I saw. Mm. So I was very very high. Well, you had to because you're preparing these specs in advance, right? And that's my. Fault. I just realized that. <laughs> well, sometimes no, no, sometimes I do the specs after after I see it already for that reason to not temper my expectations. But this one, I figured I was safe. It's an MCU movie. It's Spider-Man, it's not going to... I was actually let down a little bit, and I've, we've talked about this in pre-production, we're going to get into it. You're higher on this, at least on the outset, than I seem to start at. I am. Uh, I'm going to get into it, and I think we should just dive right into the production. Did you have a full theater, bags. even at 9.30? Yeah. Oh, it was packed. Really? It was packed. Well, I, mine was, was too. I saw, I saw I saw an 11.40, almost a noon showing, but yeah, I had a pretty full theater myself. Yeah, I know. It's a perfect vacation movie. Yeah, so thank God. Agreed. Let's, let, let's dive in here. Review of the production values, sight to sound. Okay, we knew visual effects were going to be good. Yes. I think some are better than others, and I think that's on purpose, and we'll get into that, but we knew we were going to get spectacle. We knew, of course, that we were going to get harrowing, high-flying trapeze, Mike. We got that. Of course, we were going to see Europe, and we got to see Europe. Yeah, was this like, was on location in Prague. I noticed that in the credits when I was watching it. Couple I think the, the Prague community. Big cities and a couple little skips and jaunts here and there. That was fun. I really enjoyed that, and I, I really enjoyed taking that trip with these characters this was like call me by your name but if spider-man was in it basically exactly you, like call me by your name your your <laughs> comparisons again. well i say that i say that intentionally because um, obviously the plot is very different but in call me by your name you have this yes. gratuitous montage you're going through the city they want you to show purposely it's showing you all the buildings and getting you integrated into the town and really just showing off the culture and it's spider-man gorgeous. did that here for a montage at the beginning it's gorgeous they have some gags where it's not gorgeous yes. but yeah i loved it uh sound here mike soundtrack is just wonderful at times it's, uh, it's some high moments the jokes yeah there's we some, some there's jokes. some good laughs that come out of the soundtrack. Uh, I think the music really blends when I when when we wanted to or when we needed to. I was listening to the soundtrack 
you know, when I was writing this episode, and there's already a couple songs that I just love. I had, I'd never heard, or if I did, I never knew about Umberto Tazzi's, Tazzi's Stella Stai, this Italian pop song that I must have listened to six times in a row. Oh, really? I just kept Good. replaying it. I loved it so much. Uh, I did not download it. I made the grave mistake of not downloading it on my Spotify okay. premium on my ride here to your place. And I'm very upset so about it. So now that. you're just like itching to hear it because so it's been too long? Listen to it again. So <laughs> I enough. love that song. I loved a lot of the songs here. Any any highlights for you on the soundtrack or on the sound? Well, I mean, the soundtrack, I guess I'm more the score. It's not surprising that the sound was awesome in this because our old dear friend, Michael Giacchino, <laughs> whose name I will never pronounce correctly, <laughs> Uh, and who did a lot of Pixar stuff, right? Yeah, not just MCU stuff, but Pixar stuff that we kept talking about. Uh, he is nothing if not infuriatingly consistent with making a great soundtrack and a score. He's so good. I do like the sound effects. They blended for me. A few times I noticed them, but high production values. We knew we were getting those, right? It's $170 million. It's Marvel, of course. Yeah. Uh, to get into the performances, look, I work with high school kids. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> this is a worst for me. These kids look like they're in their early 20s, most of them. And, and and Gory looks younger, and I think she is younger. You think so? Ned looks like he's 26. Ned's, like, bald in real life. If you look at the, the, the round he was doing, <laughs> he visiting, doing the press tour, I don't know how old like he is. Tom Holland's starting to look like he's older. Like, they're not... Zendaya looks young. Zendaya looks a little younger, but I'm starting to see Zendaya see like she's okay, early right. 20s. Like, I just work with these kids every right. day. So I understand, like, and I, I understand the differences, <laughs> not in a creepy way, but you just get it. Sophomore right? Peter Parker's got like a lush, thick chest hair poking out of his spidey suit. <laughs> One, <Yeah. laughs> college sophomore's got a bunch. No, so yeah, I mean, you figure that out, but that's just me, and I'm a weirdo. Well, you are, your exposure to them is, is right. much more close. Yeah, I, mean, I was I listening to Sean Fantasy on the Big Picture podcast on The Ringer, mm-hmm. and he was saying, "Oh, I totally buy these kids as high schoolers." Still, a third movie for me, they better be in college because. They're going to be too old. I can see the part of the reason picking a guy like Holland, picking a woman like Zendaya, because they do have baby faces. Yes. So they could pass as younger than they are, but I agree. Somebody who spends their time and coaches high school athletics and and spends a lot of if you're a teacher, you'd have the same issue. You're going to have see the differences. I think they were terrific, though. I I love their performances. I think it's very important to have teenage kids act like teenage kids. Mike, it, it's amazing that when you don't have a nightmare sexual predator, yeah. a nightmare uh, old creepy guy, even if he's not a predator like Weinstein was, to, to not have a gross allegedly old guy yeah. in charge of a teenage romance, you actually get a cutesy teenage romance this instead is, of an overly sexualized thing. This is a great point that you made in pre-production talking about this too. This is not something I had thought of, but you're absolutely right. This is like adorable. Yeah, I mean, it, it. you see the reverberations even with the old Spider-Man movies. And I'm not saying that you had a gross person in charge of those, but they they had the imperative back when to have nipples through the shirt, a 30-year-old actress Yeah, playing. they were adults. Yeah, yeah. there was adults. And, and you have this sensuous, sumptuous scene right. that becomes iconic with the, you know, the big kiss in the rain mm-hmm. in the alley there. You don't need that in this kind of teenage no. movie. This is a cutesy teenage romance, more akin to Pixar and other Disney films than and Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. And, you know, you can like Sam Raimi's, Raimi's Spider-Man. I did. I loved them. Yeah. But let's have more age-appropriate characters. And this worked for me so well. And I was so happy because I was worried. Like, all right, we're getting a romance story. 
Yeah, I don't want to see those two like that. I think that's a great point, and it's not something I had thought of. But you're you're right. It's it's a little it's more tame even than the usual coming of age teenage movie is. Never mind it being in the MCU and being tied down to superheroes. I was actually worried about that at the start too, because to my left, uh, I went with my brother to see this today, and to my left there was two mothers or camp counselors. I don't know who they were, but yep. two older women. And we, 30s 40s that came with with a, a row of like eight or nine 11 12 year old boys sure so y- this stuff does matter you don't want to have that kind of exposure to them if just for the sake of being over sexualized wherever I, I looked i had guys my age and then i had all high school kids so it looked yeah. like high school college kids home for home on break and that was it it was either guys my age <laughs> <laughs> like we are exactly that we are 30s or it was yeah it was young kids and i'm i'm the same like i don't want to watch that right. especially this audience this would be gross yeah no good so point. we did not get that I'm very happy we got a cutesy film instead i loved the adult characters in this movie, the the two teachers are hilarious. Martin Starr, and they're, terrible. they're terrible. <laughs> they're the worst jobs. chaperones ever. And that's like the premise for their characters right. too. When they're on the plane, <laughs> and then they, when they think they're doing a good job, it's it's so much better. Your safety is my priority, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> Loved it. Uh, you have Marissa Tomei and Happy. They got a fun rapport going on. Really enjoyed both of those characters. And Marissa Tomei, again, this is Sean Fennessy. He's still in love with her, as am I. She's stunning. She is still awesome. My Absolutely God, stunning. great actress. And John Favreau, good job by him, him, too. Yeah. He's really good in this. The best performance for me, though, is Jake Gyllenhaal. Jake Gyllenhaal gives, like, an all-timer superhero yeah. movie performance. And with what he's asked to do, pulling this off, I can't wait to get into it. Yeah. We're, we're almost there. I uh, loved it. Okay, so some script thoughts. I just have a couple, and it's coming off this Pixar rewatch, Mike. You know, this could have been a Violet from The Incredibles class trip to Europe. I mean, it could have been the same plot line for her story. To me, with Michael Giacchino doing this uh, score, Mm -hmm. I immediately thought from there, like, this feels like an Incredibles movie. Yeah, that's a good call by your part, too, seeing seeing his name and having that ring a bell. I I wasn't thinking Incredibles. The fact that you bring it up makes a lot of sense, because you're absolutely right. It's even the same tone, almost. But there's a couple other callbacks to certain other movies that I was thinking of that are a little more off-kilter, because that's how I think. Not many are like you and normal people. (laughs) Call Uh, me by your name, perhaps. (laughs) (laughs) That I saw in this as well. I have a bigger problem with some aspects of the script that I know you do. I think there's certain jumps to conclusions. I don't think it's as tight necessarily as... Well, not even as Endgame, but as maybe you would expect the follow-up to Endgame to be, to want to be. That being said, I think you needed a vacation from it. Because you're never going to best Endgame. Good guys versus bad Mm -hmm. guys, that kind of storyline. You're never going to best what we just saw. Right. So you had to do something different. You get that European vacation here. And hey, Cars 2. (laughs) <laughs> this is how you do. This is how you do a fun European vacation mixed with all cool spy stuff and adventure stuff and action stuff. Yep. This is how you do it. Agree. All right. So uh, Oscar lens to close things out here. You know, maybe visual effects in another year, but probably with Endgame and Star Wars and Captain yeah. Marvel. You're just not going to get that this year. What I want as an Oscar lens, I loved Gyllenhaal. He yeah. was above and beyond I wish. the type of a certain type of crazy that he needed to be in this movie. I would love to. It's never going to happen, but I would love. It was a great performance as far as I'm concerned. I second that. So we both say watch this still. It's a fun movie. Even if I have my detractions on it, 
don't go in with expectations, I would say, because even if you do, you're not going to be right on with everything anyway. Right. There's enough twists to keep you interested. So, I, yeah, I, it's a fun summer movie, July 4th, get you out of the heat, get in a nice air-conditioned, dark movie theater. Fun movie. Yeah. It's not midsummer. I mean, I'm going <laughs> right. to see that later, and uh, I'm going to enjoy that in my own sick way, but that's right. going to be a white-knuckling kind of experience. Exactly. And this, I was just like, oh, thank God. Yeah. This is, this is just going to be fun. I'm going to laugh, and I'm going to enjoy myself. Yes, good job. MCU. All right, let's dance. Spoilers ahead. This is a spoiler warning. Spoilers. Spoilers. section for spider-man far from home as a movie event podcast brought to you by mike mike and oscar if you've not seen the movie yet go do it get at it you can go listen to our non-spoiler review where we wrap up that section telling you to go watch it uh we'll be here waiting for you when you come back if you've seen the movie already if you're just curious to hear what happens or if we've hyped up the spoiler section for you so much in the non-spoiler section that you cannot go another minute without hearing for yourself what happens in this film this is where you want to be it's all spoilers all the time from this point out for spider-man far from home brought to you by mike mike and oscar michael let's start something Okay, so we're going to dive right into the plot, the beginning of the plot. Yes. We're basically going to go in like a recap fashion and discuss from there this time. So our best and worst and Oscar real scenes and all that is going to be worked into this. So let's start off. I don't know if this was the first scene or the second scene, but I hated at the time that we got this typical superhero movie setup. Mm-hmm. We got these monsters from another dimension. They're here, but their hero from the other dimension is also here. Nick Fury and Maria, they're on the case. Better summon Spider-Man. <laughs> I hated that at, at the time. But now that I look back to it, it's all a ruse. It's all a misdirection, and I loved it. And you get the performance there from Gyllenhaal. You don't want any part of this. That is so good. <laughs> so, I mean, it's really genius. He's playing a superhero as he thinks people want a superhero to be and of course Mysterio is revealed to be the big bad in this movie so he's just really doing what he thinks people want to hear we find out we have to kind of it's a, it's a bit of retconning everything you think about the script yeah. up until that point which is clever I love that it works as a setup for the what we think is going to happen and then it they also play games with that because you have Peter ghosting Nick Fury's calls. So you think you ha- you're you going to have the normal setup where, all right, he's summoned. No, he's like, I don't want to talk to Nick Fury. <laughs> I want to go on vacation. He scares me. Yeah. I want to go on vacation. I'm not taking my suit. Give me a break. I just went through the end game. Yep. I don't want this. I-, I have to go to my aunt's little you know charity benefits and talk to the press and they're freaking me out and I'm a little kid and I'm still a kid and that's so brilliant and it's funny and happy makes it a lot more funny but Mike to go back another second I will always love you perfection the use of that song is perfection so funny it is such a great song that it works as a tribute song 
and it's for, so over the top for the in memoriam. <laughs> yes, it's so over the top, right? So we're seeing we're seeing a tribute everywhere, and a Tony Stark being dead. A spoiler for Endgame, I guess, but you can't see this movie without knowing that. But Tony Stark being dead is like shoved down your throat, and it's in your face everywhere. It's yes. talked about internationally. There's homages and murals on the sides of buildings to him, which and is fitting. It makes yeah, sense. it makes a lot of sense. He saved the world, but we have this memoriam where like basically a PowerPoint of him is going by or something, and the Whitney Houston I Will Always Love You song is playing over the top of it. And of course, it's the AV Club. It's the student newscast (laughs) at the beginning of Homeroom. I thought that was a very clever way to expose it. Yeah, they did the iMovie editing on that. It's (laughs) just absolutely brilliant. It's really funny. And of course, they're going to pick I Will Always Love You. Of course, they're going to pick that song. They probably just heard it for the first time the other day, and they're newly smitten with it. So I loved it. I loved uh, the push and pull with, you know, Peter not wanting to take his suit with him. He just wants to do kid things. I mean, that is something that at the end of Homecoming, he was having to choose, right? That was the big thing at the end of that movie. No, I'm not going to become an Avenger yet. So now he's forced into the whole Infinity War endgame plot line. And he's got to be exhausted. Hell, Nick Fury's exhausted right. at the end of it, that we find out. So, of course he's exhausted. That's a perfect setup. It really worked for me. And I did not have to second-guess it for a second, even though I knew it was going to be totally second-guessed, because otherwise we won't have a movie. Right, right. No, same here. I, I had no problem with the, with the setup and the way that we were getting things rolling. So we have to get the fun and we have to get a lot of it, and we did. Uh, the great reversal on the plane when that teacher, Mr. Star, freaks out about the lie that Peter said about the perfume allergy or that so Ned said. Peter's trying to finagle. He's got this <laughs> grand plan in mind that goes throughout the entire movie. He wants to get to the top of the Eiffel Tower and give Mary, uh, give MJ, I'm sorry, the Zendaya character, a black lotus pendant right. or necklace. A big romantic gesture. Yes. He's doing the typical teen movie right. thing, and it's deconstruction on that kind of plot line. Backfiring at every return and it's i love that yeah let's not have that yeah i don't need that i don't need this to crescendo with the big kiss and the nipples i don't need that with these kids they're kids little peck on the cheek little peck on the lips that's perfect age appropriate thank you and mike i laughed really hard it really it was like a whole body laugh when i first found out that ned actually made a girlfriend after that the was plane ride. so funny so in, in doing this plan part of peter's big idea is that he'll ned will claim peter has a perfume allergy to get <sighs> peter sitting next to mj because mj's sitting next to this character brad who's yes. like the the other love interest and what happens is it's ned who sits next to someone new and by the time they're off the plane in europe ned and this girl are now boyfriend and girlfriend and they're boyfriend love. and girlfriend calling each other babe <laughs> which got a little repetitive but it kind of made me I loved it. laugh every time it was such a commentary on teenage romance too yeah, <laughs> it's, it's like, perfect we all had those. hard and heavy yes. quickly that's hilarious uh i loved it so much so i love that you get the sightseeing montage through venice kind of deal that's it's, it's a lot You're of paying fun. the money to shoot there you might as well show the city it's perfect <laughs> That you know, it's not going to plan for Peter, and yep. it's all weirded out. So that again, perfect fun and games to the maximum, and then that great first battle with Mysterio, which was so cool. Yeah, it really was great. We saw it in the trailers, and I guess we got to get into that twist now with Mysterio. But at the time, it's playing perfectly. So this is this is an awesome fight between these elementals who are popping up right where all our main characters are. We don't know at the time that it's not a coincidence. Right. So it's all smoke and mirrors and technology, right? And it's all because of the glasses that were given to Peter Parker. Nick Fury, 
who finally does get a hold of Peter hilariously by yes. just tranking Ned in Peter's dorm, Peter and De- Ned's dorm room in Europe, knocks out Ned, and eventually one thing leads to another. He gives Peter the glasses that Tony Stark left behind. The glasses are filled with the Edith program, which are similar to the Jarvis program that Tony used. Yes. Even in death, I'm still the hero. I, I, I'm the hero. Is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> even dead, I'm still the yeah, hero. Yeah, even dead, I'm still the hero. Like, <laughs> even, even dead, I'm the hero. hero. Even dead, I'm the hero. That's, so, that's funny. Mysterio, we find out, is basically a double agent. And he does all of the bad things that happen in this movie are smoke and mirrors and done through technology that Mysterio honed as part of the Stark Company, which he was then fired for because Tony thought he wasn't stable enough to work there. Right. He's then taken that technology and used it to basically... Position himself to fill the void that Tony left behind, both in the tech industry and with the hero, the world needing a hero. Yes. So he's going to take his Mysterio personality and fill that void for everyone. And it makes so much sense because who just literally saved the world? Who should be the next leader of the free world? Who's the again? next Iron Man? They Who's kept the saying that over Man? and over. It's so good. It makes so much sense for the timing of this film. All that being said, this is a perfect time for a vacation and perfect time for that push and pull with uh, with uh, with young Peter Parker there. And, but you needed that Iron Man 3-like twist here. You couldn't have just a straight-up good guy, bad guy, entrance music fight kind of movie. Uh, I was getting frustrated, Mike, with all the coincidences. I was getting frustrated with the yada yada of the multiverse. Mm-hmm. Like, I, oh, here we go again. We're going to get in this <laughs> too huge setup in one movie, and all I want to do is go on a vacation with these hilarious characters. I don't want... Like, I want to see them in their next uh, apartment... You know, that's in shambles with water on the ground. I want to see that. I don't necessarily need the elementals going So you got, you got mad that the elementals just kept having to popping up when the reality was Mysterio was purposely having them pop up with his technology to save the world in front of everyone. Now that you think back to it, there's... The callbacks are amazing. The writing is just amazing. Even the writing to the scene where you have Samuel Jackson about to explain it all. And he can't because people keep knocking on yes. the door. That's so good. The girlfriend says, how come he's not answering my texts? Oh, just awesome. So all of that is just great setup and payoff. He finally does go over the, the tech. And you have this performance by Hall that you think is just reserved. And you got that macho uh, superhero. superhero, yeah. Who is traumatized by... By his past. One of the elementals killed his family. But in fact, Jake Gyllenhaal hates superheroes. (laughs) He loathes them. And he's doing his cynical impersonation of one of those characters that is too righteous to be alive. Yes. And that's what's so brilliant about this performance. And I just want to see it again, to be honest, to get all the nuances of it. But thinking back to it, you you get some. Uh, I do have a problem, Mike, with the glasses being the the key or the keychain from Animal Comes Home. Where I know, have a all lot the, of problems with it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All the uh, the control, the the device that should yeah. you know have power over the world with all the drones. Like, why does Tony Stark do this? Yes, he's done it before. <laughs> With Sarkovia, <laughs> with the whole Ultron mess, right? So he's done this before. So the the Edith glasses, they can, can they're they're all knowing, they're all powerful. They link to satellites that Stark Industries have put up. They're controlling these these homing missile drones. There's a whole 
part of the movie which Peter's trying to decide if Tony actually meant for him to have the glasses and be the next Spider-Man because Tony leaves him a note saying as much or if that's Tony's way of saying that Peter should be the one that chooses the next Iron Man and he should choose the next leader and that's how Peter rationalizes it to himself that he should give the Edith powers to Beck which is Mysterio's real life name. And again, he's a kid so I yeah. get that he would do that. I get that he would just meet someone who's a false mentor and he would be fooled into giving it away. All that being said, after they get through that second big action sequence, mm-hmm. which is really fun. I know you had a problem with the carnival at the time. I love the opera setup. It's really funny. Then you got Ned going out there. He's on the carousel. And you have Zendaya, who's out, out and about as well. All that comes into play. But the reason why they're all coincidentally in the same spot is because... Mysterio is trying to fool Spider-Man. Mysterio is trying to fool Nick Fury. It's the nexus of this plot line that is not coincidental, and uh, because they're try, he's trying to sway the other characters. And in that scene where Gyllenhaal's in the bar with Spider-Man, doing the false mentor thing, playing it to perfection, the looks on the faces of all his crewmen after Spidey walks out and he's got the glasses, just priceless. You can see them like trying to really, you know clean the bar fast and stuff and the eyes are wide did we do it did we do it yes we did it champagne toast big speech by by our fearless leader it was I a great heel it. turn it was a great cinematic heel turn once mysterio is done playing mentor and gets the edith powers peter leaves and then it's a celebration and we find out basically everyone that was in this bar this inconspicuous bar that you think peter's just sharing a drink with mysterio in it turns out everyone there every patron every person that works there is part of this grand plan of Mysterio's. They all, some of them worked at Stark Industries. Some of them that just work for him now. They're all taken apart in all the smoke and mirrors and all the, the disguise and deceit that Mysterio does. And it's again a callback to a, a couple previous yeah. Iron Man or Stark Industry casualty mm-hmm. villains that you had in Iron Man 2 and you had a Stark employee in Iron Man 1. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, in Iron Man 3, you had the person who was basically rejected from the Spy Stark Industries uh, become the villain in that film. So this is a, another callback to a former employee of the Stark Industry or whatever, a former rival, just starting shit here. And I, what I love so much about it is Jake Gyllenhaal then does an impression of David Fincher, of <laughs> of all you know all the directors that he's worked for who have been tyrants, who have been nutcases, and he does his impersonation of a crazy director, and it's just yeah. brilliant. And then Sean Fantasy mentioned that on the big that's the big a point. That's a point my brother came up with too. He's like, I think this movie was a director's wet dream. I loved it, and you have this meta conversation about the performance within the performance, the production within the production, and th- look, this is Oscar Beatty stuff. Typically, if this wasn't in right. like a big superhero movie that's probably going to be neglected by the academy we might be calling out this script for something more than than what was agree i i do like that they made spider-man an underdog again and that was the biggest factor of it because i don't know how they were going to do that with all the might behind spider-man you know thinking about nick fury thinking about all the avengers that could show up i was worried that they were just gonna have all right we got this villain but don't worry spidey's got friends and I was going to get aggravated if it was a scenario where, okay, Spider-Man's here and his friends can't show up and they keep having to explain why the friends can't show up. That was pissing me off earlier in the movie. What they made this into was it was an underdog story about Peter and only about how Peter could save them. 
because it was such a personal story because was, again the nexus was so you know fine-tuned onto those characters and that's just really smart writing and to make him an underdog in a different way to get, let mysterio do all the smoke and mirrors all that illusion stuff all that incredibles two incredibles mm-hmm. one stuff that is just to me that was a brilliant uh execution i really like those scenes and, and to get him hit by a train that's a crazy way to try and assassinate the kid and he had stone cold eyes jake gyllenhaal when he, when he got that done i was a big fan yeah so this is the point now where peter's already discovered mysterio's not what he seems and he realized he gave the edith technology to a legitimate out and out bad guy as smart as the writing was and i agree that was my favorite scene in the movie when mysterio puts peter through this house of horrors basically it's akin to what like the scarecrow does in the batman movies the way we get there the way peter figures out that mysterio's the bad guy is basically mj accusing him of being spider-man and then showing him this projector that she just happens to have in her backpack which just happens to turn on as they are fumbling with it and just happens to be showing this one clip of mysterio fighting this bad guy that doesn't actually exist and from that one clip peter parker is immediately able to put together the entire background of exactly what mysterio is doing even though it's this entirely high concept thing he is a scientist kid, you know, I mean... yeah, He's a kid! A, he's a kid still, <laughs> but he's a really smart kid. Yeah, I mean, he was okay. able to figure out all the stuff in Homecoming. I There's mean, had Mary of... Jane... Or, I keep calling her... Had MJ not picked up this random piece of metal? No. We're all screwed? <laughs> well, no, I, in fact, if she did not pick up that piece of metal, uh, I mean, obviously Spider-Man, would, it would have taken him longer from figuring it out, but they wouldn't have been in danger. Right. On the other hand, that dooms that group, like, which it is dooms, interesting. It dooms that group, but it also doesn't... doesn't. There was no other evidence that Peter Parker was going to be onto this. Right. That's all I'm saying. I mean, we don't have a movie No, here. you're right. The third act unravels very, very differently. But I like that she's the key to him figuring it out. I don't mind And that. I like that she has agency there to I like that as well. And I also like that they explain where she found it. It's not like, oh, I just had this thing the whole time. There's actually one kind of throwaway scene where he goes, Mysterio realizes one of his drones is missing his, its projector, and he's able to tap into this gigantic web system that he's already laid out and see what happened to that drone's projector. And we see Mary Jane... God damn it, MJ picking it up. <laughs> I, again, be, because the proximity is so tight on this movie, I'll give it a pass, but right. I think your objections are notable. My objections here is that Mysterio basically overnight creates this, you know... It's a good one. Hor- ...horrifying illusion, specifically for what Peter has told him about all of his dreams, about the Eiffel Tower, etc., with the grand romantic gesture. Mm-hmm. And overnight... Those and that team of animators comes up with that three minute scene. That right. Three minute. So this is where the translation between probably the the cartoons of Spider Man we were all raised on after school and the movies kind of differentiate because there was an air of mystique. There was like some kind of magical powers with the cartoon version of Mysterio. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to ground this in actual real technology, technology yeah. and you actually have to program what these drones are going to project in their projectors, then yes, you don't have enough time. I agree. You may fool other movie critics, <laughs> MCU, but we just reviewed the entire Pixar series and we know what hell all those animators did by after going behind right. the scenes for all those movies. We know how many months, we know how they slaved over every single character. Right, so this is just us looking out for the Pixar animation department, really. More Nobody's so than as good else. as Pixar! You can't. You saying you're better than the, the other division over there at Disney? I don't believe you. All that, that said, 
I thought it looked fantastic. It, looked, it was my favorite view of the yeah, movie. And honestly, it's all pseudoscience. It's supposed to be right. pseudoscience. It's comic book science. So I allow it because, number one, it's harrowing, tra- trapeze stuff. Yeah. It's a new kind of villainy that Spider-Man's got to fight. True. It works into the big uh, secret weapon that he's going to have to get his Peter Tingle functioning. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> Spider-Sense. He's got to spi- figure out. I don't know out. why they can't just call Maybe because Sony has the rights to spider sense that phrase i don't know i don't know either but i I like that they nicknamed it here it was pretty funny then you ground it in realism again of course at this point the parents are calling them all home on vacation right Mm -hmm. so the fact that they get somehow deterred well obviously because of gyllenhaal detoured to london there and then again you you've reformed this new nexus around the same group of people for the for the finale that really works now you had a problem with the fact that Gyllenhaal had to follow up one spectacle with the next grandmaster evil plan so quickly yeah my issue is mysterio's goal is really just to get the edith okay and he's done that he's tricked peter he tricked nick fury right so he could trick the world right. from there but he wants the Edith. That's that's the the whole thing this is going towards. Once he gets the Edith, he takes it upon himself to learn that Peter knows and that Peter's friends know he's a bad guy. Like once he gets the Edith, he could have just and should have just disappeared, lived to fight another day, have this big fake event essentially where you're going to position yourself as the new Iron Man happened some other time. I don't see why it has to happen right then and there. Yeah, I didn't get the imperative of that either to do it, you know, so that the right. whole... I mean, I get that he has to kill like, the Like, make sure that you have the Edith technology worked out first, maybe. No? Maybe. I don't know. Like, make sure everything works according to how you think it will. Not just say, well, we're all here. <laughs> we're there in London and we're right here. Apparently I got better animators than Pixar. <laughs> right. <laughs> who can work triple time or a hundred times what the Pixar people yeah. could do. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that objection. Like, wait a week is what I'm saying. Wait a know? week. Yeah, they could have given us a flash forward. Maybe the kids all got back. Maybe they right. got flown out to London somehow again. But it wouldn't have worked. Yeah. It wouldn't have worked with all, the whole kids narrative. And then the fact that he had to get rid of the kids in the in the firestorm, in the crossfire, that whole deal. So let's talk about the finale. Yeah. I, I love the fact that the kids had their own battle to fight and that you made a realistic... You made a realistic battle where they got caught in this medieval museum. And Why does they... everyone get caught in bookcases nowadays? Well, yeah, because bookcases are the days past. It's like <laughs> Maisie in... Williams gets caught in a bookcase. It's like in, in Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah. Adam Sandler and Jennifer Aniston got caught in a bookcase in Murder Mystery on Netflix. It's a not so subtle metaphor. It's like the end of adaptation when Nicolas Cage's brothers like, it's like technology versus horse. <laughs> <laughs> This is my That's not even a critique. It's just like everybody's in bookcases these days. I, I agree. <laughs> uh, I like that the bookcases were surrounding a medieval exhibit at yes. a museum. And she got the big spiky ball mm-hmm. thing and was able to kill the drone. That <laughs> yes, was that was cool. I, I like that Zendaya did that. I love that they're all you know facing their moment of death and they're cracking wise. They got the gallows humor they're there. They're all coming out to each other, like giving one big dark secret about each other. <laughs> Happy's like, I'm in love with Spider-Man's aunt. <laughs> that I thought funny. we were sharing. <laughs> that's, that's brilliant. It's funny. And it's a great finale with Peter fighting all the drones. And it's not the finale I expected. We've seen bigger spectacles. We've seen better finales. I mean, Christ, we just saw one with Endgame. But you have that plus all the Mysterio illusions that he's able to to put on Peter. What I didn't like is that Peter just basically honed his spider senses overnight. Perfectly. 
this happens in, in the spy into the spider verse too yeah. like he goes from like zero to hero very quickly and that aggravates me a little bit you could have had more of an arc with the peter tinkle there but uh i'm, I'm a big fan of the spectacle regardless because it still works very well, well here's my question and this is a critique now okay we have this illusion going on mysterio's at the helm he's pulling all the strings spider-man comes along he ruins the illusion he reveals that it's all drones yes is it the game up there you're saying yeah isn't it like get well, out of there mysterio well, again you have you have in gyllenhaal's ear all the guys that are in the chair for him yeah are basically saying how are you gonna get how are you gonna get this one over on people right and he's like forget it forget it I just i'll do it or whatever he's just like brushing them off but you're right those objections are voiced it's just it's not working for him the gig's up man the gig <laughs> you're sh- done the gig should be up so save your tech in other movies, you would have the villain just basically say, fine, I'm going to kill the hero. Right. In other movies, that would have been his right. you know, final whatever Agree. for vengeance. In this movie, you have this diabolical He's guy. He's still trying to like play the hero. Still trying to fix it. Yeah, I, I, that didn't equate with me. I couldn't understand that, but all right. Right. Can we talk about how he meets his demise? <laughs> I like the one-two of this. I like the the setup and then fooling us for a half second there. Okay, I the the surprise, the last twist. I agree. I loved. We just go through this gigantic five-minute Peter swinging through, missing thousands of drones aimed at him, trying to shoot at him, firing bullets. It's awesome visuals. He, of course, is Spider-Man, so he avoids all the bullets. Fine. We get to this narrow hallway on like a sky bridge where Mysterio has been operating out of his base of operations. He's basically this technological wizard able to keep and track all these computers. Was that a landmark in London? Was that like the... I don't know. Not the not, Tower of I'm London, the walk, walk to death, <laughs> to your death? Because that's in like Sherlock Holmes, right? That bridge is being made at the end of the Sherlock Holmes movie. I don't know it if it's is. a famous bridge or a famous... Uh, Let us know if, if you know. If we're, we're just uh, not cultured enough, I know, I guess, to, to know that offhand. But yes, if that's something important, please let us know. If it's the walk to the... <laughs> to ex- the what used to be there, walk to the execution. Right, right. Yeah. The plank. Pretty much. So... We have this narrow hallway setting now, and it's Mysterio and like eight or ten drones against Spider-Man. He has one more giant illusion, and this is where Spider-Man finds his Spidey sense, or Peter Tingle, and it works out perfectly. He's able to fight through what is illusion, what's real and what's fake, and gets to Mysterio. Spider-Man avoids, conservatively, 17,000 gunshots. Yeah, I mean, he's got he's got the super suit. <laughs> okay. Uh, and he's, he's channeling the rock from the Hobbs and Shaw trailer. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> he knocks over one drone, which Mysterio commands to fire, even though it says it won't do it at first because it's too close quarter. He knocks that one drone over, and with two gunshots, they directly... The first two shots aimed at Mysterio are direct hit and fatal hits. It makes sense, but I wonder, is that the part where the drone was kind of like spinning? No, I know it was spinning. It was off, it was off kilter in yeah, the museum, it but it was crazy. spraying a yeah. bunch of shots. Maybe that could rationalize it. You, you're right. I mean, it does. I just, uh, he deserved a better ending, too, because he was a really cool bad guy. But they he, he do was. have that last twist where you think Mysterio is, is canning back over to Edith technology and he's down on the ground accepting death. And it's actually he's right next to Peter aiming a gun at his head. Like that a lot. I think the epilogue is his finale, though. Agree. So let's get start to get into that. We, we, we have Peter and Zendaya's, like we said, very refreshing. Peck on the lips, the hug. That is adorable. Again, thank you, MCU. It's not creepy. It's mm-hmm. not weird. Good. 
we have uh, a scene now. There are a couple stinger scenes that are very important. Yeah, there's a mid-credit and a post-credit. So the mid-credit is J.K. Simmons. Who's back! Reprising J. Jonah Jameson. He's back, baby! At the Daily Bugle, and he's essentially... Alex Jones. Alex Jones. <laughs> he's, he's which a, is genius. I mean, yeah. the whole part of this, and one of Mysterio's last words is that people will believe anything you show them. And it's... Really, you're getting this whole idea throughout here of, can you trust technology? Is technology going to go too far? Were people going to believe everything you just show them? Are they going to actually question things on their own? And now we see J. Jonah Jameson as this Alex Jones conspiracy mongerer. He's pushing news to the forefront, which really in reality works with the Jameson character's mindset because why would a, a, a the editor of the New York Times be so anti-Spider-Man? Why wouldn't it be this conspiracy monger who's so anti-kill Spider-Man? I like that. It's scary that we'll believe a, co- a comic book newsman yeah. is, has become one of these people when actual <laughs> newsmen have become these people yeah. in real life. That's scary. I also like that they didn't shove that down our throats the whole movie. Agree. Like, this becomes a Black Mirror episode. Yes. It becomes that satire and that deconstruction, and it does it very subtly because we are in the midst of a great vacation teen romance mm-hmm. movie. Then we're in the midst of a fun adventure movie. Then we got the the turn, right? And we have this crazy spy thing going on. Yeah, this, left, this, this uh, double cross thing going on. Left on its own, it would have been enough to piece together afterwards that, wow, this is a really good reflection held up to current society as far as the news but now it is on its nose. They keep it for the for the post credits. We have drones, which are the next right. force in artillery. Yeah. Right. And so the way we wage war as a society mm-hmm. is going to be these robots going forward. And the way we put the news out is all with this fake news bullshit. And all those those problems are kind of tacked in on, at the end instead of in our face right. throughout the movie so we can have fun with it during the movie, and yet it's all woven in. So what is shown at the end is Mysterio, who, again, always wanted to deceive, always to have the last deception, recorded himself skewing the audio of what happens with his encounter with Peter Parker at the very end of his life, makes it sound like Peter Parker was the one in charge of all the drones and wants to have mass execution of people. Uh, Spider-Man, Spider-Man is in charge of all the drones, I should say. And then for the topper, he also reveals that Peter Parker is the is Spider-Man. So Spider-Man is doing all these bad things. Spider-Man's the ultimate villain, and Peter Parker is Spider-Man. This is all shown on like one of those Times Square's video screens, so everybody sees it. So the second movie in a trilogy, Empire Strikes Back, Temple of Doom, is typically the darker movie, mm-hmm. where at the end you're left with a bit of a cliffhanger. And... I don't know if you could have done that throughout this movie after Endgame, right? It would have been too dark. We can't. We can't do that. Right, we can't how much go there. Can you go? Yeah. They they went in the opposite direction, and yet they still tacked on that cliffhanger, and it really worked at a perfect time because you had the joyride, the swinging through the city. You know, you had the fun little teenagers doing a fun thing you with the superpowers. Note, yeah. You're gonna end on the high note, and then bam! Oh my God, my whole world's upside down. Are you ready to hear what what movie this echoed? What's that? <laughs> this is the same ending of Scream 4. This is the exact right? same remember. ending. Because the ending of Scream 4, yep. it's a commentary on what the news media does in glorifying people and sending out, trying to be the first one to get to the story, trying to be the first one to break the news. Yep. And the ending of Scream 4, I'm going to spoil Scream 4 right now, by the way, so if you haven't seen it, if I don't it means remember something to it, you, yes. turn off. But at the ending of Scream 4, we find out that uh, Emma Roberts is the killer. Mm-hmm. She thinks she's killed Sydney. She ends up at the hospital to learn Sydney's still alive. She goes to kill Sydney once and for all, and Sydney ends up killing her because, again, Emma Roberts was the one in the ghost face mask. She was the mass murderer. 
But the news outlets that are at the hospital are all praising Emma Roberts' character as being a hero, as being the one who stopped all the violence because she ended up killing her partner yeah. and framing him for all. So it's it's very similar in that vein in that the, the bad guy has one final twist and is relying on the media to be the one to pro- proliferate that message throughout society and sending all the fake news, as sure. it were. Wow, that's that's clever. It's uh, very Harvey Dentish. Yeah. At the end of the Dark Knight. Very. As yeah. Well, so. Which is a normal way, a normal comparison to make. <laughs> <laughs> you went to screen four, but while you were talking, I thought of that. But yeah, we spoiled a couple of movies here. We'll put it in the uh, show notes. That does nothing for you now. If you've still listened, now you're furious. <laughs> Sorry. With us, I will put it in the show notes somehow. Hopefully, you don't get this far. But we also want to talk about the Nick Fury scene. Yeah. This was so there was that was the mid credit scene, and now we have a post credit scene. Which actually ties into one spot in the movie now that I think about it, but Nick Fury and Maria Hill are driving off, so this is Colby Smulders' character, Samuel Jackson obviously, are driving off, and they reveal themselves to be Skrulls. And Samuel Jackson, Nick Fury, is actually on a spaceship having a vacation with fake VR, virtual reality, right. beaches. You, did, you didn't like this. I didn't like this because why was it necessary? I, I think it explain helps explain two things. One, I think it helps explain that Nick Fury was... Why was Nick Fury gullible enough to believe this alien from space who's never has no intel on was able to come to Earth and be like, oh yeah, I'm from another dimension, it's possible, see? Like, why would Nick Fury just buy that and agree to let him into the inner circle and show him Dimitri and show him Colby Smulders' character? And I, that makes sense to me that that wasn't actually Nick Fury, I guess. Two, there was a line passed in the movie where Nick Fury is talking to... Uh, about Captain Marvel? Yeah, and about the... the Don't invoke the, her name. Well, that yeah. that's one line. Actually, there's two then. And then he's like, the, you're the only one that knew about the Scree outpost, he says in passing, as, as one scene's beginning, I noticed. Oh, okay. So there's there's breadcrumbs. I think it's just there for fun, to be honest. Because they could. Right. Kind of deal. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm not angry with it. I mean, what were they saying about Samuel's performance, though? Like, it wasn't true Samuel. <laughs> it was Samuel playing somebody playing Samuel. They're taking the meta-narrative about his... Uh, Sam, you're being a little lazy with these Marvel movies. I wonder if he was lazy. They better have not retconned that for him. Like, Sam, this is not your best one. I don't think so. I don't think so. He had to have been playing somebody playing him. I'm sure. Because otherwise he would have been, you know, much more (laughs) animated. Taking a jab at Samuel L. Jackson's acting career. (laughs) Right. That would be be perilous. Yes. They they would be idiots to do that. So, anyway, I don't really get it, but all right, fine. I'll, I'll live with it. So let's talk about kind of the multiverse speculation about what we got coming forward. Let me just uh, run down a few specs real quick. The MCU is going to release a movie in May of 2020 and then in November of 2020. We think The Eternals is coming in November 2020 and Black Widow has started production. It's the first Marvel film that's filming. My guess is that's the one that's going to come out in May. We also know that we have Disney Plus original series about Loki, about Hawkeye, a couple different characters coming out. So I think we're going to have like this prequel narrative going on with uh, Loki and you got the multiverse thrown in there and, and to a degree or you got the time travel stuff thrown in there to a degree. That's going to crescendo in the Black Widow movie perhaps or the Black Widow movie is going to work into the Disney Plus stuff I'm guessing. I then we're supposed to have a, yet another prequel with the Eternals, Angelina Jolie, mm-hmm. uh, Rob Stark, Salma Hayek and uh Kumail Nanjiani starring in that one. My two cents, 
is that this Spider-Man story has nothing to do with any of those movies. That's my opinion. I have nothing to base that on other than the fact that they have one Spider-Man movie left uh, that with the deal with Sony. You have to... I mean, you have this open door from Sony with the Spider-Verse. Right. You have to tie that in somehow. And you have to make Sony have a viable Spider-Man versus Venom movie. Because you owe... I mean, you're borrowing their property. I, I know Marvel made money with it, but they were nice enough to agree to let Spider-Man be in the MCU. That's a good So point. you kind of have to leave them at a nice place, too. So I think we're going to have... This Spider-Man movie is going to finish off. I'm surprised it didn't happen with Mysterio because he's the most mystical bad guy and he could have opened those dimensional doors. Sure. They played on that idea with Hall's lying here, obviously. But I think this ends up with tying into the Spider-Verse somehow that that door that, that you can explain away by not only the Sony movie, you can explain it away with the blip. They already hinted at a bunch. That's what they're calling Thanos a snap. The blip. They, they had the, the playing with the age range and different, different characters having different ages and years and people surviving certain things. I think that's going to come together. And because you're going, I think the focus is going to be on giving Sony a good starting place with the Spider-Man property. I don't think much attention or care is going to be paid with playing Sp- tying Spider-Man in to other Marvel properties at this point because you never know if you're going to have them again unless you work out a new deal. All of that makes a ton of good sense, and I would l- enjoy those uh, connections down the line. What I think the MCU did with this one was really set us up for big multiverse expectations and then totally Agree. pull one over yeah. on us. Is the multiverse storyline going to be that next big thing that they do? Now we don't know. Because we still don't understand if all that yada yada that exposition dump scene, right. was something that Gyllenhaal BS'd his way through via and Fury. And is that why Nick Fury bought it? Because it actually happens. Right. Or if it is, he based it enough in fact. Right. But then again, I thought his writer friend, his hack writer friend, was writing most of that. So maybe a scroll who was impersonating Nick I Fury would Jill buy Hall it. Would get, would get nominated for this. But we, so we figured we were going to come out of this movie yeah. understanding, all right, here's the next Infinity Stones gauntlet narrative to control the next 20 films or whatever. Here's the multiverse. We don't have that no. now. We really don't. No. We don't know what they're going to do next. Uh, and they really toyed with us as an audience here. And is the multiverse just set up to get Spider-Man back to Sony? I mean, who knows, right? I mean, is that something that's going to come into play at all with any other movie? Or is it just the plot device they needed to move Endgame along, and now they're like, shit. <laughs> <laughs> they have to have big plans, because they have another Black Panther. They have another Captain Marvel. They have another Guardians film. They have another Spider-Man Everybody film. Everybody just ends up on the Lost Island. <laughs> <laughs> it's just purgatory for all these MCU characters. How many things are you going to spoil in this episode? Uh, whatever. Listen, that, that show sucked. All right? I'm not even apologizing for that. I'm going to have to write a paragraph. <laughs> we spoil Lost. We spoil Scream. We spoil Avengers. It's not, I wasn't going to spoil any of these things, and you're such a spoiler. I'm sorry. I you're... Honestly, didn't even enter my head. Did not even think oh about it. Oh, my God. The show notes are going to be thoroughly <laughs> nightmarish for me. Mike, we got to finish with some final grades for this movie, yes. Spider-Man Far From you talk Home. Me up a little bit i really enjoyed it i'm into a lot of things and i don't know if it's a b plus 89 or an a minus 90 it's somewhere in there i think i gave captain marvel that a minus 90 now i don't remember either it's it's around captain marvel i really enjoyed both of these films this is a different kind of you know goods delivered different kind of movies different genres really lost ended a decade ago (laughs) (laughs) um you you did talk me up there there is there's comedy in this. There's, there's more. I was thinking probably B-minus territory. I'll go high B-minus, 
verging on B, something like an 83, 84, something like that. I wasn't, there's, there are a lot of leaps to conclusions and a lot of jumps that I have trouble getting over. And there is a ton of exposition, which I understand you yeah. need because of, this is, again, my brother was harping on this ad nauseum, but you need that to set up, I was defending it, you need that to set up such a high concept film. Yeah. So I, I'm forgiving of that, but it's still not overly cinematic. All that being said, if the trailers didn't have as many jokes as the trailers had, and, and they had a lot of jokes that were not in the movie as well. Okay, I didn't notice. Well, the, I'll, I mean, I'll there was no cop scene, right? Remember that big cop scene we saw? Remember oh, the, yeah, you're right. No, remember good point. the good alliteration, point. Peter Piper picked a yep, pack of pickle peppers thing? That wasn't in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so some of the, I mean, it, cleverly, some of the jokes weren't in the movie that were in the trailers, but a lot of jokes from the trailers were in the movie. Mm-hmm. This movie would have been twice as funny if those jokes hit me see them right away, yeah. for the first time. Yeah. That being said, a lot of these jokes are hit. I saw. I like a good comedy. The movie worked like that. It worked like like a teenage teenage romance, uh, like I said before. So I'm I'm high on it. And it, and it, then again, it worked as an action film. It worked as an adventure film. It worked as a cool way to do those kind of movies. And it left you on a, especially if you watch that mid credit scene. It leaves you at a, where the hell are they going now? Place. It yeah. You and you again. You deliver the goods of what the second movie in a trilogy is supposed to be. Yeah. I, I agree. Great summer movie. I wish it had Oscar legs because I really think Hall was spectacular. He's and that's really where I will good. land. I mean, for no other reason. Go see this just to look at Hall and realize that this man is acting against air in certain scenes because what he's playing off of can't possibly be there on set in real life. Oscars 2045. Best beard and an Oscar... <laughs> Best beard in a motion picture tentpole. Dreamiest eyes for the 15th consecutive year. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, that'll do it for us for Spider-Man Far From Home. We obviously, as always, want to know your thoughts, comments, questions, concerns. What did you think about this movie? Are you as high on it? Did the jokes land for you? Was it lacking? Or where do you think this whole MCU universe multiverse idea is going next? You could reach out to us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook. Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram. MM and Oscar on Twitter. Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com. And on Reddit, we are available everywhere. You hear podcasts, whether that be TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, etc., etc. This movie I'm seeing does have a 69 nice right now in Metascore. That's fun. Uh, Mike, what's coming next from us? And words of wisdom. Okay. It took me a minute to think of. Yeah. go. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to review Death Proof by the end of the week. That's one thing for sure we're yes. going to do. We're going to continue that Tarantino rewatch that we're having a blast with, that we're diving deeper into those. stuff in there. Yeah, we're diving deeper into those movies than we have anything else. Mm-hmm. Last episode was an hour and 40 minutes. Yes. Oh, my God. Kill Bill 2. Kill Bill 2. Not even one. That was a deep dive. <laughs> but, I mean, it's delivering different kind of goods. This yeah. is more of a recap, kind of having fun with a movie event, and that is a full-on study. We do There's also- no fun there. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it is. It's, it's been a blast. And it's been a learning experience for us, so we, we love doing it. We'll have a couple weeks in July where we do two Tarantino movies, but we got two big things that, that are coming up. Number one, we're going to see Midsummer, and we're going to figure out what the hell we, it is. If we can figure it out, <laughs> yeah. basically. If we can, Sorry if, for stepping on your joke there. No, that's yeah. fine. If we can figure it out, we'll do it this week. If yeah. we can't figure it out, we're, we've been preparing a mid-year Oscar race update. That's going to be a lot of fun as well. We're going to go category by category and, and t- get you up to speed on where everything is. Uh, we'll put our own spin on that to differentiate ourselves from the other great Oscar podcasts out there. Been working on that as well. So th- those are things to look forward to. MMO Weekly has been a ton of fun lately. A lot if of you, info. 
yeah, I mean, if you enjoyed the speculation in this episode, we talked about Kill Bill 3 at the end of Kill Bill 2. Mm-hmm. We speculated on a ton of things in the last episode, including what Netflix is doing with the, uh, you know, basically the adaptation of The Prom from uh, Broadway to anything like Halloween 2020, which we did two MMOWs ago. Certainly did. So we were getting into the speculation game because a lot of great movies are coming out. But Mike, if we had any idea how to brand ourselves, we can call ourselves the Spec Boys. That's interesting. I don't. I don't hate it. I don't hate it. I hate a lot of ideas you bring up. I actually take that. And Thank I like you. it a little bit. It doesn't hit me wrong. But Mike, I do think uh, we got to figure out Midsummer. We got to figure out why they misspelled summer. I don't think that's a misspelling at all. <laughs> I think Ari Aster knows exactly what he's doing. How about some words of wisdom to end this on? You got any air left in those lungs? All right. Uh, <laughs> Well, I'm taking out the space between my uh, show name. The space between. Sorry. The space between my show name. I'm taking it out. I'm going with a single name. It's also Mike. No space. That's that's the future of uh, this company. Can I? Does it work for oh, you? Oh, this is you rebranding this podcast, so it's just yours? No. I, but I, we have to have some star power. I will be that star power going forward. Yeah. I have a singular name now, like Zendaya. It's also Mike. Also Mike. <laughs> also Mike. No space. And an umli. <laughs> it doesn't work, does it? Uh, is that wisdom? Is that your wisdom for the... Well, Zendaya's got the All singular right. name, and it works oh. for her. No. no difference in town either. You're absolutely right. <laughs> Guys, uh, when reality sucks, you can come watch movies with us. We're trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. Nominate Hall, you cowards. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar, and we'll see you soon. See ya.